0: Well, is it too dangerous for you to know certain truths? Eric Metaxas joins me at the table to expose the lies by revealing some shocking revelations you don't want to miss. If you're enjoying Table Talk, be sure to like, comment, subscribe. Remember to click that notification bell to stay up to date on all of our latest posts. Well, are some truths so dangerous and paradigm shifting that some will abandon all reason to ignore it or even bury it to keep you from hearing it? Well, today, with the help of our special guest, we'll look at some shocking truths that are exposing lies that some have believed for years, decades, or even centuries. Well, he is a best-selling author and radio personality that has boldly taken on the task of helping educate others with the truth about relevant current events as well as overlooked or even forgotten history. Please welcome our dear friend, Eric Metaxas. Yes, he All is. right, They're welcome. Well. Look at
1: that, <laughs> amazing. She's Ooh. very nice. I'm here <laughs> for it.
0: Well, we are living in some interesting times. It seems everywhere you look, you're confronted with narrative after narrative regarding what you should think and how you should believe. But is the messaging true, or could there be evidence they just don't want you to see? Well, today we're looking at some topics that directly affect the world around us, and let's start with a big one. That big topic is what?
1: Oh, uh, let's see. How about <laughs> whether God exists and, no. and what does science have to say about that?
0: Wow. You know, a lot of people don't know and understand. We talk about it here at the table. But the Bible is not only the greatest history book, right. but it's also the greatest science book. People have been trying to disprove it for years and years and years.
1: Well, first of all, you know, as somebody who believes in the God of the Bible, you um, The God of the Bible is the God of reality. If he invented the universe, there's nothing in the universe uh, that that could be contradicted in the Bible. But we've all kind of bought this narrative, whether you're a believer or not, that like, well, faith is being pushed away by science, and the more science we learn, uh, the less we have a need for God. That is flat out not true, and in in my new book, I talk about the fact that not only is it not true, we can know that it's not true, and the opposite is true. The more we learn from so science, true. from modern yes. science, the more evidence we have, and I'm saying, a level of evidence that you won't believe me until you read it.
0: We can all start maybe like with the Big Bang. Let's talk about that.
1: Well, actually, I want to start with the title of the book so people understand. It's not a book about atheism, right? Yeah. In 1966, there was a famous Time Magazine article that asked, cover article, is God dead? The world was kind of coming to this conclusion, like science is pushing God out. and So so let's put this right on America's living room tables, Mm. uh, coffee tables, is God dead? The evidence since 1966, including the Big Bang, which you just brought up, all this stuff, has been shifting in the opposite direction. So that today, the logical question to ask, and I'm not making this up, is, is atheism dead? I actually say atheism as an intellectual idea is dead. There may be a lot of atheists, but there are a lot of flat earthers. It doesn't change the fact that we know the earth is not flat. But the idea that this comes from science, I just find it so ironic mm. because, I mean, the, the Big Bang's a classic example. When I, I, I find all this stuff funny, right? <laughs> Einstein, in 1911, you can't think of a greater scientist except for Isaac Newton than Albert Einstein. In 1911, his equations were leading him to believe the universe is expanding, which means that if it's expanding, that at one point, it, it, if you go backwards from where it expanded, that it started at a single point. This was what Einstein came up with privately. as a scientist, he thought, this is embarrassing. People are going to accuse me of being a creationist, of, of, of you know, talking about the Bible. Right? So I have to hide this information. So he created this cosmological constant, this fudge factor, because he was so embarrassed by what the evidence from science was showing. And a few years later, he had to eat crow because other people said, hey, guess what, Einstein, you're, you're wrong. It is expanding, or at least you're right, but you didn't, you know... And so this concept of the Big Bang developed where where scientists were embarrassed because they said, well, it looks like the universe was created out of nothing. That's that's what science is Mm -hmm. saying. But it makes us uncomfortable because we want to believe the universe uh, existed forever. And so the first chapter of the book, in some ways, is the least interesting of all the science chapters. But just this idea of people dragging their heels and saying, this makes me uncomfortable because it looks like it's it shows the existence of a creator God. Mm. But... No joke, that is the least compelling. The evidence from science that has come out of what's called the fine-tuning argument is so insane that I I, I just scratched the surface in this book. But that is something that in our lifetimes, the, the evidence from science for a fine-tuned universe, that everything is calibrated so perfectly mm-hmm. that it doesn't make sense that it just happened, right. that is the, the killer. It's mm-hmm. killer mm-hmm. evidence.
0: So talk a little bit about that. What has science discovered that essentially proves this argument? Can you yeah. recount some of that? Well, plus?
1: it would be, be kind of like, like we'd all say, like, we all believe in chance, so if I, if I flip a quarter, it could go heads or tails, right? Great. What if I flip a quarter and it lands on its edge? You'd be like, whoa. That's weird, but it could happen. Mm-hmm. It could happen, okay? Yeah. But imagine I flip it again, and it does it again. What are the odds of that? Astronomical. Mm-hmm. Okay, I flip it again. It happens again. What if it happens 100 times in a row? You would also all look around and go, this is not, oh, something weird is happening.
0: There, that is a trick quarter. Okay?
1: Mm-hmm. Something as weird is <laughs> happening. Yeah. Because... Chance cannot produce that over and over and over and over. Something's weird, okay? Mm-hmm. That's basically what happened with science. They, they would discover something really freaky and they would say, well, I guess it's just chance. For example, this is again, in our lifetimes, they've discovered that the size of the Earth, you know, you watch Star Trek, you watch these movies, you think, hey, a planet could be any size. They have discovered in our lifetimes that if the Earth were the tiniest bit smaller, I mean, like the tiny, like two, three percent, we could not have our atmosphere, we could not have life. Mm. But they've also discovered, if that's not weird enough, that if we were 2 or 3% larger, we could not have our atmosphere. And I tell why in the mm. book. But I'm saying like, so you mean to tell me that if our Earth were not exactly the size that it is, there would be no life. Mm-hmm. And so- we're talking science. Wow. Science says, yes, we now know that. Wow. Okay, that's one example. I've just given you one example. Mm-hmm. The examples are in the hundreds now of they find something, the one that I like uh, again, this is like sort of simple, you know, solar system examples. Okay. The planet Jupiter is 40,0 000, sorry, 400 million miles away from Earth. If you've ever seen it in the night sky, it's like a pinprick of light. It's so far away you can't even imagine. It's four times farther than the sun. Tiny, there it is, Okay. Science now knows, this is science, we're not talking about the Bible, we're talking about science says that if Jupiter weren't there Mm -hmm. with its tremendous mass, because it's a very large planet, Mm -hmm. its gravity is so strong that it is drawing away, like, you know, 99.9% of the asteroids and meteors that would hit Earth, because of the existence of Jupiter. Wow way out we there. are able to exist because science knows that if jupiter weren't there and all those asteroids were, th- there's not a ghost of a chance life could exist on planet earth so those are two examples there are hundreds of these kinds of examples where they where a normal person would look at it and say so that's a freaky coincidence you're telling me mm-hmm. jupiter if it didn't exist we wouldn't be here but it goes on and on i mean that's like the solar system then you get down to the fundamental laws of physics, if, if any of the fundamental laws of physics, the value of gravity, whatever, were different by like 0. .00001, there would be no universe. Like, mm. you, you, you think, so this is science, so they should be teaching this in school, mm. but the more it adds up, the more you say, okay, so, so if this is all uh, so perfectly fine-tuned, who did the fine-tuning, exactly. or are you telling me... It's a coincidence.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you uh I think you talk about the walls of Jericho. Oh,
1: you know, yeah, the Bible says a lot of stuff, and a lot of people would say, Well, you know, it was written in a different culture. It's kind of this mythical, these are mythical stories, it's ancient literature. Okay. Yeah. Until you find through archaeology, like, oh, wait a minute, that was a real place, and it seems like What the Bible says happened actually happened. That's kind of freaky. So so there was an article. This is what started me on the whole journey back in like the early 90s. I was reading the New York Times. And I come upon an article by a major writer for the Times talking about new revelations that the walls of Jericho, which they know is Jericho, fell inward. Uh, And there's a lot of other stuff. Again, it's in the book. But it's, it's like, you know, 40 years earlier, some archaeologists said, no, it's just the opposite and it disproves the Bible. So like now, in the 1990s, they're like, oh, no, 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 actually the evidence proves the biblical mm-hmm. account. And that to me is one of the mild ones. There, There is stuff that I came upon that I thought, people almost won't believe this until they look into it themselves. That the evidence from, I said science, but also from archaeology, over and over and over points to the Bible as History, not as a collection of folk tales. And I thought, you know what? You can't force someone to believe this, but I dare people to look at the evidence. I Mm -hmm. dare you to look at the evidence and you tell me what is your conclusion. Mm. There are so many stories like this in the Bible that you dismiss it. The the favorite one, the one that made me write the book, literally. We want to hear that one. Was Well, I was, no, I mean, there there are two stories, one from science and one from archaeology. But the archaeology, I was in Albuquerque Uh, speaking at some church in Albuquerque, and somebody said, oh, you got to meet Dr. Stephen Collins. He's a biblical archaeologist. He's the guy who discovered biblical Sodom. And I said, excuse me, he did what? Sodom? The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is like the first couple of pages of the Bible. Mm -hmm. I would even doubt that it's possible for archaeologists to discover something that ancient, and it just seems like mythical, even though I believe it happened. Mm -hmm. You're telling me some archaeologists could find it? Well, I met Dr. Stephen Collins, and with skepticism I looked into this because I thought a lot of people say a lot of things. Maybe they want it to be true. It is insane. Hmm. And that was what, when, I, when I discovered that. When I discovered these things, the first thing is I'm amazed. Then I'm angry that I haven't heard this before hmm. because I said yeah. to myself, the evidence is all there. I'm not making and it up. Was, and this guy, and what
0: was the evidence? Like what did he find that it, was so spectacular? It, okay,
1: it basically he knew... He was doing something like his, some tour in Israel, some bus tour to teach people about different sites. Mm-hmm. And they get down to the, to the southern part of the Dead Sea where other biblical scholars said, oh, we think Sodom and Gomorrah were down here. And he's thinking, you know what? The guys who said that are good guys, but they had to get this wrong. Because what the Bible says is that Sodom and Gomorrah were part of the cities of the plain, which would be north of the Dead Sea, south of the Sea of Galilee, So he's like, I need to look into this. So he looks into it and he finds a couple of sites up there that have never been excavated, because of you know Israel's war with you know the Arab countries, whatever. There's there's always good reasons why you don't know something, right? So so there's nobody doing archaeology there. So he finds one site, and he's I'm giving you the short version, and he starts digging down as they do in archaeology. They're going layer by layer. When he comes to the level of whatever it would be, about 1750 BC. They can tell by the ceramics, the, the pottery, right? They know exactly what where we are, okay? They find a layer of soot and ash, average uh, depth of about five feet, that was completely inexplicable in scientific terms. Fire, earthquake, whatever. It just, there was no explanation to find a layer of soot. They could smell the soot. This is 4,000 year old soot. That's never been uncovered, right? But then the freaky thing is, amidst this soot, 1750 BC, right? They found tiny, tiny bits of, they said it was like a Cuisinart had, had, that, that, why are they finding this, these tiny bits of melted Brick. You ever try to melt a brick? No. You know what? You're talking like five, 10,000 degrees, right? Mm. Melted brick, melted human bone, whatever. But the, ki- the killer, they found a piece of pottery that this guy, who's this expert, knows, ceramic typologist. He goes, that's definitely 700- 1750 B.C. I can see it, right? Mm. But he goes, wait a minute. Maybe I got it wrong because there's a glaze on it. Glazing was not invented to like 700 A.D. Uh-oh, we've got a problem. But he looks at it again and he goes, no, I know this is from 1750 B.C. He knows the kind of jar it is and this and that. So they take it to a lab in New Mexico. What happened in New Mexico uh, in the 40s? They were doing tests for, you know, atom bomb tests, right? right? So the place where they used to do these tests with these atom bombs would create such heat of like, you know, I don't know, 30,000 degrees Fahrenheit, whatever it was, that it would melt the sand so when they brought it into the technician and said, "Tell us what you find when you look at this in your incredible microscope," they said, "Oh yeah, it's a nice piece of trinitite, which is what they would call the stuff that they found in the deserts." And the guy goes, "No, keep keep look at it, find out." Well, what they discovered was the only way a piece of pottery from 1750 B.C. could have this glaze would be if it was exposed to 5,000, 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit for like you know. A couple of seconds i mean wow. anyway the details there's all these details uh, are in brimstone but this is when they start now the killer and again this is for, this is science nature magazine which is one of the premier peer-reviewed journals in the world of science wrote an article came out literally like two years ago where 21 scientists weigh in on all of this stuff wow. and their conclusions they were so blown away by this that they said well they had to bring up in this article that it looks exactly like the biblical account of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're not saying they Mm -hmm. believe it happened, Mm -hmm. but they're saying that the details are so freakishly similar that they needed to mention it in the article. But but what I find really interesting is that after the 1750 BC level, right? Because these cities are thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. So there was a city there 4,000 BC, 3,000 BC. 2000 B.C., then you get this event. Mm. For 1,000 years after this event, there is zero human civilization on that site. In other words, whatever happened there was such a
0: nightmare. It was so catastrophic. That
1: no one would dare ever settle there again because it was so horrifying. Wow. So archaeology is now proving that the first couple of pi- pages of the Bible are like mm. our history, our yeah. history, That's, I didn't expect to see that in my lifetime.
0: So what was the other thing that convinced
1: you? That was one. The science. I met a man in Houston, Dr. James Tour. I write about him in the book. He's one of the premier scientists in the world today, without any doubt. Uh, Nanoscientist, which means he he creates molecules in the lab. You ever try to create a molecule? No, it's, you, you know, you need a pair of tweezers that you can't see. I'm joking, it is insane. He's like working on a level of microscopic stuff, right? I had dinner with a bunch of people and he was one of them and he starts talking to me about something that I had never talked about before. We always get in these arguments about evolution or whatever, so if you have life, how do you get from you know, a single cell to well, we, everything we have now, right? So you can have an argument about that. I believe in intelligent design, I believe God did it all. I don't believe in Darwinian evolution, but that's not the point. How do you get life itself? Not how do you get from life to different life. How do you get from zero life Mm -hmm. to life? So this nanoscientist is saying to me, "Uh, Eric, I know a little bit about this. I've looked into this. You know, he he didn't brag that he probably knows more about this than anybody in the world, but I looked him up, and he probably does, right? And he says to me, in 1952, there was a famous experiment in the University of Chicago. It's called the Miller-Urey experiment. Every one of us in high school, it was on the test. We all, it was on the test. And in that experiment, they basically said, oh, we're gonna approximate what was on the surface of the earth about four billion years ago, which of course there's no life, and we're gonna run some electricity through it, like if lightning strikes it, what would happen? And they created some amino acids. Well, let's cut to the chase. In 1952, when they discovered that lightning could create some amino acids, amino acids are infinitely far from life. But they thought, we're on our way. We're going to show how through random processes you can go from no life to life. So this guy, Dr. James Tour, and again, I give you the details in the book, but Dr. James Tour says, Eric, it's been 70 years. They have not moved that ball forward one millimeter Mm -hmm. in other words they were so confident science is going to show us Mm -hmm. how we get to a single cell we're on our way he says not only haven't they moved the ball one millimeter basically the more you learn the ball is moving backwards because a single cell which is the simplest form of life i mean any scientist would say oh it appeared on the planet four billion years ago yep and then you say okay how did that happen
0: Exactly
1: Mm. The complexity of a single cell now, because we know the complexity of the DNA code and we know about, you know, membranes and, you know, they they would say protoplasm. Now we know that what is in a single cell, the simplest cell imaginable, the simplest life on the planet imaginable is so complex that if somebody gave you all the parts in the lab and said, okay, now put it together and create life no one could even come close to it. So this guy, James Turr, when he's telling me this, I'm thinking, why haven't I heard this? Mm-hmm. Nobody's talking about this. That the more we learn from science, the more we know there isn't the ghost of a chance that life emerged by itself. Right. And, and 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 I mean, listen, I did my research, and I, I find it funny because people are getting funded. They keep doing research on this, and it's kind of like you've got a a ladder and you're climbing up a ladder, and, and you find out as you're getting to the top of ladder, oh, uh, excuse me, but uh, it's leaning against the wrong building. Like, oh, we've spent all this time, right. w- we've gotten nowhere. So I thought to myself, what could be a greater uh, argument for God mm-hmm. than the fact that the more science learns about the it's origins true. of the simplest life, we're not talking about us, we're talking about right. a cell, they can't begin to tell us. And I, I, I did a Socrates in the City event where I talked to James Tour about this because we need to get the word out to people that science is pointing to God very, very dramatically.
0: So tell us, before we leave today, the Eric Metaxas journey to God. How did you find God? You're a Yale graduate. You're smart, intelligent.
1: Well, a lot of times, you know, the more of an education you get, the more confused you get. And the education (laughs) I got was kind of telling me, like, that's all been decided the smart people don't believe in god and i i guess i bought that you know like i got i got confused and i kind of drifted and whatever and so i had a uh there's no other way to put it like a mind-blowing miraculous experience because i was so broken and so lost that i i i was sure you couldn't know if god existed like even if he did exist i was sure smart people could never know that he existed so i had a miraculous experience that I wrote about in another book called Fish Out of Water, because I think people need to know... What happened? That, well, it was a... uh, I I was going through a really painful time. I graduated Yale with an English degree. I was trying to be a a writer. You know, that was my uh, dream. And it wasn't really going so well, and things got so bad, I always joke around, that I ended up moving back in with my parents, which is like, you know, if you're floating around out of college, that's where you go when when you don't know where to go. Mm And it was a very, very painful year, and I was still hostile to the idea of God, hostile. And I'd been trained at Yale to be hostile to people who say, like, oh, I believe in God and I know him. I'm like, yeah, sure you do. Well, one night, like right around my 25th birthday, uh, I had a dream that was, I've never had a dream like that in my life. It was not just a dream. and And I won't give the details because it's too long of a story, but it was completely totally life-changing like i went to sleep skeptical and i woke up knowing god is real the bible is true jesus is is you know like the stuff that i was positive you could not know god spoke to me in a dream in a way using things from my own own life i mean which is why i wrote the book fish out of water because i said you need to understand my life so that the dream makes sense it was so completely life-changing i always say it's kind of like Going to sleep single and waking up married. <laughs> it was like, now all my friends are gonna think I'm nuts. And, and did they? Some of them, many of them did. Sure, they did. Because True. they were just like me. They were mm-hmm. trained to think that only like loony people like believe in that stuff. What right. was the difference? No. When you
0: made that decision really to, to come into a relationship with God, how did that change your life?
1: Well, I stopped sleeping with my girlfriend. Uh, and I started, uh, saying, okay, God, um, if I know you're real, I want to do whatever you want me to do because I trust you mm-hmm. in a way that I never could have before. So, um, I, I, really kind of, I, I said to myself, I would be a fool if, if I know God is real, which I now do. I would be a fool not to put my career, my life in his hands. Mm, right. And I did. And it's not always been an easy journey, but I know that he led me to meet my wife and gave me the career that he gave me. And, th- there, I, and you know, that you hear this all the time. People think it's a cliche, but it's like you have a peace that you didn't even know was possible. Like, I, I just didn't think it was possible to have that kind of peace. Yeah. And when you do, when you get that, how are you not gonna wanna tell people about it? How are you not gonna wanna tell people, this is not for me, this is for you too. This is for everybody.
0: Do you have any regrets surrendering your, your life to God like you did?
1: Oh my gosh, I have regrets that it didn't happen sooner. I mean, there's just I don't know I don't know what to say. But I mean, really is, you know, it's not about converting people to God, it's about converting people to reality and truth, which point to God. Yeah. In other words, I just want to know what is true. Yeah. If there is no God, I don't want to believe in God. If right. the Bible is a bunch of folk tales, I don't want to believe in the Bible. But if it's true, then I want to get in line with that because that's literally why I'm on the planet. It's why we're all on the planet. So to me, it's ultimately exciting.
0: Well, I mean, that was an amazing story, and uh, we are out of time. But I just want to say if you're watching today and um, you're searching, I would just really challenge you to not only think about what we talked about today at the table, but to just really begin... Uh, to not be afraid to ask God to reveal himself to you. I mean, I tell the story about my grandfather who was 19 years old and knelt down and prayed um, on a Monday morning at a tool and dime mill in Greenville, South Carolina. He didn't, wasn't raised in church or anything about God. And he just said, God, if you're there, I need you. Um, you heard um, Eric's story um, and that's the thing that I think that is really the most important thing that we can talk about today at the table is that there are some of you watching that you do have a God-shaped vacuum inside of you that you don't even know or understand. And, he, and God will give you that peace that Eric was talking about. And, but more than anything else, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. He really does. He loves you. And, uh, I just challenge you, get a Bible, get, Get Eric's book. What was the name of your book with your testimony? Fish Out of Water.
1: Fish Out of Water. Fish Out of Water. Crazy story of my life that led me to the moment that I talked about.
0: Right. That would be such a great book for you to get and read. And uh, if you're watching today and you just need prayer, that's why that number is on the screen. We'd love to pray with you. That's really one of the most important things that we could do. But I do want to thank Eric for joining us at the table uh, thank you for sharing so candidly. Thank you for sharing those truths with sci- about science and the Bible. So very interesting. And uh, be sure to check out his book, Is Atheism Dead? It has a lot of great information in there. We just barely scratched the surface. And for resources and more information, you can visit him online at erikmetaxas.com. Well, I hope you have been blessed today and you've enjoyed our conversation. Be sure to let us know. table talk is impacting your life leave us a comment on facebook instagram twitter or youtube and uh, eric will you come back share more anytime okay all right you heard it ladies thank you ladies Uh, thank you for watching and just think about what i said i mean seriously um, i don't think it's any accident that you're watching we'll see you next time bye bye for today